Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's edition of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. Dear JCPS is a district-focused stakeholder advocacy group that demands accountability and transparency from JCPS through a lens of equity. Save Our Schools Kentucky is a statewide advocacy group that seeks to expose and prevent attempts to privatize our public schools, including charter schools and everything else from the ALEC playbook. Hello and welcome to the June 17, 2021 episode of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. I'm your host, Gay Adelman. On today's episode... I would like to play for you uh, some information regarding the latest movement nationwide to ban the teaching of concepts that are taught in critical race theory. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining what critical race theory is today. There is plenty of information out there. It's a college-level course. It's not taught in JCPS. This bill is fear-mongering, and uh, what I want to do today is read the language of the bill so that you can be familiar with what's in it, and also share with you some of the strategies and ideas that are being developed uh, and a coalition that is being formed. I also want to invite you to join the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression's Legislative Committee. Our committee meets every Thursday at 5 p.m. via Zoom. For information on how to join these calls, send me an email at moderator at dearjcps.com. Also, on today's program, I'm going to play for you excerpts from last week's Legislative Committee meeting where JCPS board member Corey Scholl was in attendance. We asked him questions about their plan, their strategy to fight this legislation, and I'm going to share with you some of the things that he said that indicate uh, a strategy that is destined to fail. First, let's start with the reading of the bill. Bill Request 60 in Kentucky's General Assembly 2022 contains two and a half pages of additional language. This unofficial copy that can be found on the LRC website reads as follows. 3a. Notwithstanding KRS 158.200 to 158.260 and 160.345, consistent with the constitutions of the United States of America and the Commonwealth of Kentucky, a local board of education, school council, or public charter school shall not include or promote any of the following concepts as part of a course of instruction or in a curriculum or instructional program or allow a school council, teacher, or or other employee of the school district or public charter school to use supplemental instructional materials that include or promote any of the following concepts. I'm going to stop for a second and remind you that as I'm reading these, these are all introduced with the words, shall not include or promote any of the following concepts as part of a course of instruction or curriculum, etc. So the shall not is implied in front of each one of these. So I'm going to start again. Shall not. One race or sex is inherently superior or or another race to another race or sex. Good. Two. An individual, by virtue of his or her race, is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. I don't know that anyone is doing that. That's not what's being taught. 
3. An individual should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment solely or partly because of his or her race or sex. Again, that is already against the law to discriminate based on race or sex. Shall not, remember, shall not. Members of one race or sex cannot and should not attempt to treat others without respect to race or sex. I don't even think I know what that means, so we're going to have to explore that one further. Shall not include. An individual's moral character is determined by his or her race or sex. Again, no one's teaching that. That would be obviously discriminatory. Six, an individual by virtue of his or her race or sex bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. I don't think anyone is telling anyone that that's what's happened either. That's what's happening either. What we're trying to convey is that those structures that were built by the ancestors of those of us who are white still exist today and they're still being upheld today. So we may not be responsible for our ancestors, but we're responsible for discontinuing the practice. Seven, again, shall not include or promote the concept that an individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress on account of his or her race or sex. I don't, I never hear that as the, me the message that's being communicated, but again, White people not wanting to be told that they're responsible uh, for actions of their ancestors or not doing anything about existing structural racism is putting white feelings ahead of black lives. That's number seven. Number eight, meritocracy or traits such as hard work ethic are racist or sexist or were, re or were created by members of a particular race to oppress members of another race. Teachers are not allowed to teach that meritocracy or traits such as hard work ethic is racist, sexist, or was created by members of another race to oppress members of another race. So in other words, we can't even tell the truth. Because this one, to not teach this would be to teach a lie. That's number eight. Number nine, the Commonwealth of the United States is fundamentally or irredeemably racist or sexist. I think if any one of us actually believed that, we wouldn't bother trying to change hearts and minds. Uh, obviously, we're still doing this work, so we must have some hope. Therefore, it's not irredeemably uh, or fundamentally racist or sexist. Number 10, values, moral, or ethical codes, privileges, or beliefs can be assigned to a race or sex or to an individual because of an individual's race or sex. So they're basically wanting us to say that people's values and morals, but they slip the word privileges in here too so that we're supposed to assume that they're all, this is a false equivalence, we're supposed to assume that all of these values are the same when they're not, and so we can't even tell them that white people have special privileges according to this uh, number 10. Basically white privilege is fake news 
because it makes white people uncomfortable. Number 11, promoting or advocating the violent overthrow of the United States government. Okay, goodness, I thought that was already considered treason and is already against the law. But the fact that they had the word violent in here, are they saying that as long as it's nonviolent, it's okay to, to advocate for it? I'm just confused. Um, also, again, this is fear-mongering because these things are not happening in our schools, so it doesn't need to be law to say that you can't teach it. Um, however, I think the only people that this will affect are those right-wing radicals, so uh, I guess we'll be okay if this particular one passes. And number 12, promoting division between or resentment of a race, sex, religion, creed, nonviolent political affiliation, whatever that is, social class or class of people. So promoting division. They think that by pointing out that we are still doing things uh, that are essentially modern-day Jim Crow, um, that that is somehow creating division. And we're supposed to not see color, right? We're not supposed to see that things are harming other people. We're supposed to turn a blind eye because if we point it out, we're creating division. So our teacher who's been coming on our program and sharing her story about how she spoke up at her school and uh, she was a counselor and by speaking up, she had grievances filed against her uh, and has since been demoted. So um, Basically, what she did would be now against the rules. That's what they want, is to be able to punish the whistleblowers. So that's, those are the 12 things that cannot be taught. Letter B in this new section includes, A school district employee that violates paragraph A of this subsection shall be subject to disciplinary action in accordance with KRS 161.120L. I think that's an L. C. 1. Any citizen residing within or having a student enrolled in a local school district may file a complaint with the Attorney General for alleged violation of paragraph A of this subsection. So not everyone who has students in our schools, but only those who can prove their citizenship will have the right to utilize this uh, process. So that uh, it adds a layer of discrimination. Only certain people who sit, fit certain uh, certain categories uh, have rights in this case. Two, if the Attorney General finds, based on preponderance of the evidence, that a local board of education, school council, or employee of a school district or a public charter school violated paragraph A of this subsection, the Attorney General shall a. Send notice of the violation to the Commissioner of the Department of Education, the Local Board of Education, the School Council, if one exists, and the Principal of the Public School or Public Charter School. If the violation involves, oh sorry, this is B. B. If the violation involves a certified employee of a school district or public charter school, send notice of the identity of the certified employee and the nature of the violation to the Education Professional Standards Board. And C. If the Attorney General finds that the violation described in the notice persists on the date of the note, on the date the notice is issued, the Attorney General shall order the Commissioner of the Department of Education to withhold from the allotment to the school district calculated in accordance with KRS 157.410 or any funding owing to the public charter school the sum of $5,000 per day 
from the date the notice is issued through the date the Attorney General determines the violation is remedied. Okay, so Daniel Cameron gets to decide if the radical right-winger who files a complaint, the parent, the crazy parent, who files a complaint that she doesn't like the Black Lives Matter sign in her teacher's classroom, gets to go before the Attorney General, the State Attorney General, who denied due process to Breonna Taylor's family and to Breonna Taylor's legacy. He denied justice for Breonna. And we're going to trust him to determine if a te an anti-racist teacher in JCPS is responsible for remedying her violation, his or her violation, and gets to fine the district $5,000 a day, punish the district, an already financially struggling district. We're going to punish instead of help. In this, in this time, this is classic privilege. Having the time and the energy and the ability to focus on all these little things that someone else could do wrong instead of people literally dying in our streets people being denied quality education and the tools and supports and resources and counselors and and access to a quality school close to home without having to be bused all across town this is what they have time for this is privilege. The remainder of the bill, it's a seven-page bill, and what I read to you was pages three, four, and half of five. You are listening to Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS on Forward Radio 106.5 FM. The first segment of this program was focused on the language of Bill Request 60 that has been pre-filed in the House and is expected to go before General Assembly in 2022, which starts uh, the first week of January of 2022. And there are six lawmakers who are uh, responsible for proposing this bill so far. One of them is Joe Fisher out of the northern Kentucky area. And all of them, um, several of them, have ties to ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, and are um, known to affiliate with Matt Bevan and Mitch McConnell, and are part of some of the radical right-wing Tea Party groups that have been infiltrating our parent, our, our authentic grassroots parent and teacher organizations, school boards, and uh, communities and spreading misinformation, not only about the election and the virus, but now about what is being taught uh, in our schools. And there's a movement afoot to uh, ban teachers from being able to speak about race and sex, uh, especially uh, from a historical perspective. 
so that we may remember and learn from those atrocities that have been committed and so that our students, all students, share uh, a, a common understanding of our nation's history, good and bad. The Kentucky Alliance Legislative Committee met with JCPS board member Corey Scholl last week. We meet Thursdays at 5 p.m. on Zoom. And I would like to play for you excerpts from that meeting that demonstrate that the district is shutting out grassroots voices once again, telling us that we are free to build our own table and that they basically don't have any intention of uh, hearing from us, supporting us, inviting us to the table. Uh, they're going to let business leaders lead this fight and that's exactly what they tried to do with the tax increase and we got not only did we get shut out but we got uh, trampled on. We had hand grenades thrown at us by supposedly allied organizations and uh, district leaders and board members. So, But I have grave concerns that it is a strategy destined to fail and that is why we need to mobilize and organize and build that wall and uh, band together. And so in order to do so, you can visit DearJCPS.com. Uh, we have a, a website. Uh, the very first post at the top talks about how radical right-wing groups are infiltrating um, our, our organizations. And it has links to some of the factual information about this bill and about what's being uh, spread, the information that's being spread, and how you can join uh, the coalition. Right now, just join our email list and we'll keep you, keep you posted about meetings and strategies and other groups, ways that groups can support and individuals can support. Pastor Scholl and board member Scholl is on the call. I, I mean, so we have to be concerned about this entire ordeal. Th this is a serious danger uh, and it seems to be imminent because it is, uh, unfortunately, our, our Republican lawmakers are followers. They are following the Republican playbook uh, nationally. And so the best thing I think that we can do is challenge our co-conspirators, I'll call them, such as um, a fairness, uh, such as other groups that promote um, communal flourishing, to lift their voices and stand against this. And we need to use every opportunity to call out um, individuals and organizations and politicians specifically to have them voice their opposition to this measure. That's the first thing. The second thing is we need to become organized to speak publicly to the Board of Education about why we need culturally responsive teaching methods, culturally responsive curriculum, restorative justice practices, racial equity policies to continue to be a part of what we do in JCPS. There, there, there must be a concerted and an organized effort to come before the board and to push back against the individuals who will inevitably come to the board and begin to speak about critical race theory 
which is not taught in Jefferson County public schools. In fact, uh, critical race theory is generally not taught until one goes to law school. You may encounter it if, uh, if you take some type of pre-law uh, course in college or uh, something of that sort, but most people uh, graduate from college and never encounter CRT. Nobody teaches critical race theory in public schools. And so we just need to uh, push back against that myth that uh, because we talk about systemic injustice, systemic racism, and the need to decentralize whiteness in public spaces, uh, that is not the equivalent of teaching critical race theory. Uh, what we're doing is trying to make it a more perfect union, a more uh, equitable and uh, inclusive world society. And we start that through our classrooms. And so we need individuals who are willing um, to, 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 to speak to the board and by speaking to the board, speak to the wider community that says there are people who support uh, the inclusion of these topics in um, our academic spaces. Oh, and local control, like you said, it's not even being taught. Let, let's leave that up to our local boards to decide what should be taught. Why would you take that power away? Right. right. Uh, thank you, uh, Pastor uh, Schull, for that uh, uh, overview. Uh, I like what Pastor Schull has said. That is, first of all, there are people in the state of Kentucky who are against CRT and don't even know what it is in, in the first place. And I'm so glad that we are educating ourselves on this so that when we do speak about this, we know what we're, what we're talking about uh, and we can speak against it and be effective in our strategy. So with that being said, and we do have some strategies and things that we're going to use, um, and I like the strategies that we talked about last week as well. Like like Reverend Shaw said, we don't teach critical race theory anyway. How much of this, in addition to being intimidation, is an attempt to harass people? That is, nobody is teaching critical race theory. But this law gives, you know, Karen an opportunity to say, Greg was teaching about Rosa Parks. That's critical race theory. And uh, we should have uh, EPSB investigate him. The 1619 project is one of the things that Mitch McConnell does not want taught. And that is part of the critical race theory which started back in the 1970s. And uh, Reverend Shaw is correct. Usually you don't get it until you go to college and it's an elective. But my question is, the Western Boys School has adopted Black History 365. Jefferson County Public Schools has not. I mean, how are we going to fight teaching the critical 
race theory when we're not even teaching black history at all. And Jefferson County Public Schools, you know, what are they doing? We have a board member on here. What are you doing? Are you even thinking about Black History 365? Do you know what Black History 365 is? It's a curriculum from kindergarten through high school that teaches about our history. And it's and some of the members of Asala um, are helping to roll this out. They've even offered to come in and, and uh, the, the authors of Black History 365 have offered to come to Louisville to do a professional development for the teachers. So you're arguing about teaching the critical race theory, but you're not teaching black history. That somehow doesn't make sense to me. But I think we're not as a district, but I do think there are places that are very intentional about, they might not use that curriculum, Black History 365. And a part of that is we could, one of the roadblocks to doing that as a, a district, sorry, excuse me, is that SBDMs still uh, have deciding authority over the curriculum that we use in most of our schools, except schools that are classified as A5 programs like the Boys, Grace James, Newcomer Academy. Uh, so we have schools in our district who can say, we don't need to teach that, which I find to be a problem. Uh, some of you will remember about two years ago, we were fighting to have more uh, culturally reflective books in the libraries. And uh, there were some schools who were just against that, which I, think is an issue. But again, that's something that you don't lay at JCPS's feet, you lay that at uh, the, the feet of lawmakers in Frankfurt who again, have developed laws that say we must have SBDMs and SBDMs get final decision-making authority on curriculum and principles amongst other things. But we all know who leads the SBDMs as the site-based decision makers. We know who leads that. The head person is the principal of the school, which it shouldn't be. Right. And, and, and I get, that's a Frankfurt thing, too. The principal of the school can make a decision that they want to roll this program out. Mm -hmm. They don't even do that. I mean, I've worked with some Black principals that just, you know, cut everything off at the knees. Mm. Did, did they say why? Uh, it comes from the top. You know, may, maybe that's a Carmen Coleman question. Okay. Maybe that's a John Marshall question. We have uh, met with uh, Carmen Coleman, John Marshall, and Polio, the national members of ASALA from Washington, you know, to even get ASALA into the schools. And it just kind of, you know, it just kind of fizzled away. But it's like Gail um, uh, Gay summarized it, 
you know, we're fighting one battle when we're not looking at the underlying principles. We know for a fact that the school books were written by the daughters of the Confederacy. That is what the history books were written by the daughters of the Confederacy. And that is what we have taught. Okay, Gay had her hand up. Gay, go ahead. All right, um, thank you. Uh, we've also encountered um, uh, the, the parent groups uh, that run these elections for SBDMs are dominated by white parents and white staff, and uh, that is that affects who they recruit, that affects who votes, that affects the level of involvement uh, at the time of election, and even creates an atmosphere. I've witnessed this. It's not it's not in every school, but I have witnessed it in a number of enough schools that it's a concern, especially in our schools that are predominantly black families. Uh, where the administrator, oftentimes, usually in these situations, it's a white principal, but it doesn't have to be, uh, recruits people to, to lead the PTAs and also to run for the SBDMs. So then the people who get on those site-based decision-making councils are loyal to administration. And so if this is coming from the top, then there's not even uh, an authentic voice at the table that knows to push back or knows to say, wait a minute, we're supposed to vote on this, or... Uh, what have you. And now with the last uh, legislative session last year, not this year, but last year, they passed a bill that doesn't protect teachers from being transferred mid-year if they serve on SBDM. At least they had uh, kind of a protection if they spoke up in their meeting. So there's just all these things against us uh, when it comes to uh, curriculum decisions uh, at, those, at the school level that we also simultaneously need to be addressing because they're all part of what's baked into the structural racism that exists. And then uh, the last thing I just wanted to, to, we can go back to that and talk about that some more if anybody wants to, but then just the last thing I wanted to add is at the very beginning of the call, um, Corey mentioned uh, partnering with our co-conspirators and I wrote down fairness, but I'd like for us to spend a minute or two uh, talking about who all these other co-conspirators are so that we can make a list and start that outreach. And then also just ask if, uh, Corey, ask you if you're aware if any other groups are taking the lead on building a coalition around this fight. Um, we did talk about this doing so. The Alliance talked about doing so on our legislative call last week. And... Uh, we don't want to duplicate any efforts or step on any toes, uh, but it does need to be collaborative and uh, consensus-driven. And I think, I think, I think that there are a number of groups that should be willing to come together and 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 fight this uh, at the same time. And so I just wondered if you are, were aware of anything that's already in the works, so that we could join on board, or if we kind of keep taking uh, our steps. Uh, where do you where do you see that going next? I guess is the question. They originated uh, the critical race theory in the mid-1970s in the writings of these were these are all African-American scholars that legal scholars that I just mentioned and it emerged as a movement by the 1980s reworking theories of critical legal studies with more focus on race. Critical race theory and critical legal studies are rooted in critical theory. 
which argues that social problems are influenced and created more by societal structures and cultural assumptions than by individual and psychological factors. Critical race theory is loosely unified by two common themes. First, that white supremacy, social racism, exists and maintains power through the law. And second, that transforming the relationship between law and racial power and also achieving racial emancipation and anti-subordination more broadly are possible. Critics of critical race theory argue that it relies on social constructionism, elevates storytelling over evidence and reason, rejects the concept of truth and merit and opposes uh, liberalism. Now, they're saying that the knife cuts both ways. You have people that uh, want the critical race theory taught, but yet the judges, the lawyers, they use it to imprison us you know, you don't want to hear about it, but Black people are stereotyped a certain kind of way, and when we're accused as a crime, we're automatically judged before we can even get into the courts. We don't really want to teach how cruel we were during the slavery period, how your eyes could be poked out and your hands cut out, cut off if you tried to count or if you tried to read or whatever. So we really need to go from the beginning and then just kind of roll it out. I think too, a big piece of this is it's an opportunity to expose people for who they are. I mean, oppression is alive and well. Let's stop dancing around this nonsense, and this is an opportunity to call them out if we, if we can do it smartly in a way that moves a lot of people. And I, I really think that um, our history needs to be taught because our history is American history. The other thing is, are there any schools, and uh, Corey, you might know this in Jefferson in the in the in the JCPS district that don't have any black students attending do we have any all white schools I don't know that we have I, I don't have that data so I'll look into it uh, to see I think gay has actually those numbers I think Bloom Elementary is the whitest elementary school and I want to say they are at 22% non-white, that's it. Huh? My comment is, I guess it's kind of a, a question too, and um, I'm not blaming anybody, so I wanna make sure I put that disclaimer out there, but like people have gone to like Carmen Coleman before, 
and nothing changed and nothing happened. Um, we, I, know, I, just, I can agree with that. It just makes me feel like that, like there's some game plan going on where we're just being bounced back and forth, back and forth. Um, so like, how, do, how will that work? Like, what are we going to do different so that we are really making change instead of like just wasting our energies on being treated like as toys? <laughs> like, I don't know any other way to put it, but the facts. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I I'd have to agree with you on that one. It feels like we, but sometimes we don't get uh, anywhere. Yeah, we talk to her, or you know, you get around the you politics. You you ask her something, and then mm-hmm. um, so we need to hold them accountable. So, so far I've only found the high school spreadsheet. When I go to the data site, it only pulls down high school when I do the Excel file. And Atherton is only 19% black. Brown school is 22% black. Um, and Eastern is 21% black. Because there's also Hispanic and other, and those are not grouped together. I would have to like actually sum them together to get the non-white numbers. But Manual is 17% black. Atherton is 19 Fairdale is 20, Eastern 21, Graham, Brown, 22. If you look at white percentage of those schools, Manuals is 57% white, 66% for Atherton. Uh, Fairdale is 53% white, Eastern 63, and J. Graham Brown 65. So that's high, that's high school. I think that... Um, I'd like to know the demographics um, as of 2020. Because I don't think they'd have it for 2021, or do you think? We can ask for it. They get a fifth day count, uh, and we can even get the last day. We can, we can get whatever we ask for. I don't know if they have it by demographic. It would need, need to be a report that already exists. That's the only thing. But we can ask for it through open records. I think there. I think there's certainly a valid concern, regardless of what the data says. You know, like there are still going to be schools that have a, a high, high. Let me rephrase that: a low non-white number. So it's just not going to be a priority for them. They're just, it's not going to hit their radar. I, I have a question for Corey. Yes, ma'am. How do your um, colleagues on the board, what, what, what's their feelings about the critical race theory? I can't, I've not had any conversations with anyone. Is there a reason that you don't talk about it? Um. Not, no, not, not, um, no, <laughs> because their, their feelings on it. Um, I think I know most of them well enough to know where they would stand on it. Um, I don't think that most of them have probably took a deep dive into it and, and really even understand it. Uh, I think that the people who would be, against it would be your, your, um, 
normal suspects. Um, but I've not had a conversation with them. Some of them have made public statements that are pretty telling, though, haven't they? I've not seen any of those. So, but something like this that's so important and so critical, wouldn't you think that it would be worthwhile to, to launch some kind of uh, campaign, like have a, have a strategy, have a plan of attack? And uh, I, would, I would think even Linda Duncan would get on board with the local control idea, even if she thinks that we shouldn't teach critical race theory. Well, we're not, so she doesn't have to worry about that, right? She can be involved in that decision as it gets to the local control level. But in the meantime, don't take away our ability to decide what's appropriate in our own communities. Surely, surely everyone would get behind that idea. I, I would hope, but I, I wouldn't be so... Um, I disagree with you on that, I guess to put it simply. Um, Which part? Having a, having a campaign or that they would get I behind it? I disagree with that. everyone would get behind it. I think we underestimate how many people in Louisville want Frankfurt to take over JCPS. Oh, I just meant of the board, of the seven board members. Oh, on, on the board, yeah, maybe. I guess I don't, you know, because I I think Miss Duncan might be sympathetic to the let them learn JCPS community, which we know is um, infiltrated by Tea Party. Right. So, uh, so I, that's why I say I'm, I'm, I'm not certain about those things. I would hope everybody would want local control, but I would not go out on a limb and, uh, and, and sort of bet my, my next paycheck on that because from all indications that I have received, uh, everyone may not. I think now as it relates to a campaign, I began to work on that. Um, I've had meetings with Dr. Polio uh, and with others uh, to really begin to talk about how that looks. Dr. Polio wants to use the business community to speak out against it and to sort of be a barrier of defense uh, pushing back uh, on this. That is a part of local control. Yes, but, but the uh, business community that. does not share our concerns when it comes to other things. and. My experience, when the business community gets involved, grassroots gets shut out, and that's been problematic. Yeah. Um, you know, that, but that, for this issue, that is a part of the strategy that's coming from Van okay. Um You know, I, I just think we're trying to figure out how, at best, not to get this bill heard, uh, to kill it in committee, uh, at worst, to embarrass politicians to where they will feel uncomfortable uh, voting for it. And so that's the strategy, and a part of that strategy is to use the business community because we really do feel that without the business community sort of insisting that we don't want this in Louisville and we don't need it in Kentucky, that it will pass very, very easily. Isn't the business community kind of changing? In what regard? There are a lot of, uh, since the pandemic, a lot of Black businesses that are growing in the business community and you do have the black chamber of commerce and there are different people that we can reach out to that historically have not even been around but they are uh 
growing now. And we have Charles Booker that is getting ready to uh, run for a Senate seat. So he's going to be going to different places in uh, Kentucky. I, I think we kind of operate in a silo. We're in Jefferson County and Jefferson County is Jefferson County. I feel like we need to go to other counties that are friendly to us. Like, you know, there's a, a large black population in Paducah, Kentucky, and then Hopkinsville and Cadiz and Bowling, Bowling Green, no, but there are some. And I, I just think that we need to have allies in the surrounding counties to help us. Because if we do it, you know, it's just Jefferson County, Jefferson, they, they hate Jefferson County, you know that, we all know that. But if we have friends in surrounding counties, maybe, maybe we can make a difference. I, I agree, um, I agree. So can I ask another question about the business community strategy? Are you saying solely counting on the business community to build that wall? Or are you saying in addition to working with grassroots? Like where does grassroots come into this equation? Uh, I don't, I, I think we want grassroots the grassroots community to speak out, but let's be frank, this is an economic strategy. Tell the business community this is bad for business. The business community needs to communicate that to the, their legislature, legislators who depend on them for economic support. Um, and a part of this, part of this issue is a financial issue, a, a big part of it. Uh, so national, national organizations are telling Republicans that they will not finance them to run for the next election unless they promote this legislation. So they've got to pass something of the sort to get their financial backing for their next election. So what we need is um, a, 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 a team that will push back further on the economic front for those politicians. Uh, we don't want that. And if you do this, then this is bad for business, which directly impacts these politicians and their communities, so forth and so on. That's, that's really the only way you're going to be able to hit these Republican lawmakers who really don't care about black people. They don't care anything about Louisville. They don't care about black people in their communities. The only thing that gets their attention is if you start hitting the business and economic infrastructure. I, I, my question was, where does grassroots fit in? Yeah, I, I can't speak to that directly. Um, I think that I don't know that there's a plan for that, quite honestly. It, it is the strategy is how do we how do we head this off? We need a plan uh, for that. We need a plan where we're a partner with the district instead of being having walls built up around us whenever we try to make inroads, because when the business community gets involved, we get shut out and then the defense they put up is not the best defense 
I think we need to work in tandem. I don't think we're saying not, I'm not saying don't involve the business community, but don't put all your eggs in one basket is what I'm saying. And if you look at the strategy and what's been effective historically, grassroots is how we got rid of board members. Grassroots is how we got rid of Hargens. Grassroots is how we stopped a state takeover. Um, getting, we're the stakeholders. We're the taxpayers. These are our tax dollars, and these are our kids. Please don't discount uh, the grassroots efforts, the, 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 the accomplishments that we've been able to, to make, but also uh, mobilizing the base to call the lawmakers. You know, the individual voters is who needs to be calling their senators and, and house reps and saying this, this bill is bad for business. And uh, as a taxpayer and as a uh, parent or community member, I'm concerned about my children not learning accurate history. Like all of that is, is part of the equation, too. It, we need a, we need a, we need to be part of the we need to sit at the table and we need uh, to be part of this conversation. And when we pretty much are the table, we just don't know it. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think I think that's great. I, I don't know. I agree with you, uh, Miss Barbara. You are the table. So if that's the way grassroots feels and grassroots feels like they can really head this off. Well, grassroots is free to take the ball and begin to connect with people across the state and to begin to call those lawmakers. Again, I think we can call on Louisville lawmakers all we want. I think that's a wonderful thing. We need to understand this is a fight across the state. That's right. Frankfurt is red. I didn't Frank Frankfurt is red and... Um, I think it, 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 you're going to have to hit them where it hurts, quite honestly, if, if you're going to at least get this watered down. I think grassroots can speak persuasively, but without being able to, to really uh, get at what those politicians out in the state hold dear, I, I think it, it's kind of a losing battle. We have um, an opportunity to get with some of these new businesses that happen to be African-American, uh, the Black Chamber of Commerce, some of the Black social organizations uh, that are throughout this Commonwealth um, and organize it's not going to be easy, but look at what we have to lose. You know, you're, you're taking my, they already tried to take our history. You know, and I am in that group of people that I have a grandson that got shot in the head New Year's Day 2020. And he didn't die. He came back. Well, that same grandson who happens to be 22 got shot in the head on the same side last week. And he's fighting for his life. He's doing better. But I want to fight for my grandson. I want to fight for our history. You know, I, I think that Linda Duncan has been on that board too long. I think that when we think things are going one way, it goes another way. I mean, I, I think that 
the people that elect you want certain outcomes. And it's, it's frustrating, but I'm willing to do what I can. Everybody could do something. And, you know, I don't mind writing letters. I don't mind reaching out. I don't mind uh, contacting people, uh, making phone calls, getting some of the members of Asala to do the same thing. I'm sure they will because African-American history is very, very, very dear to us. And we want our story told. We built this country. We know we built this country. When Donald Trump came into office, everything went to hell in a handbasket. We want to turn it back around. I'm sorry to hear about your grandson, Miss Barbara. I agree with both of you all. We need to do, you know, grassroots should be a part of it. Um, but I, I do want us to understand that this is not a Kentucky fight um, exclusively, that there are, there's a bigger organizing effort um, that may make some of this difficult to head off. I think before we ally with business, which has its own interests, you know, uh, they they took a stand in Georgia because they realized the people who don't want people to vote are not their customers, but their their commitment is very superficial. For example, when we had the tax increase, you know, they supported the tax increase, you know, and they did what they do best. They issued a statement signed by a lot of people. But they didn't help to earmark certain things for communities, which is what grassroots groups would have wanted. So I think we might be safest if we decide before we even consult them, what is a win? I think you can still shame people by pointing out that this is a lawsuit you are likely to lose. You say you don't have money for PDs. You are per student spending is still 13% lower than it was in 2008. We're fourth from the bottom. Go us. You don't have money for things that are real, but you have money for lawsuits you are going to lose so that so you can showboat you know what showboat on your own dime we just need to look around and see where our allies are our black businesses and kind of do some kind of research on how we could effectuate change who is it that we need to target it's got to be a strategy. Gail, you're good at doing all that. Hey, you all, I've got to run now. Um, but if you need me, just give me a call and uh, I'll be available. All right. OK, you all have a good night. All right. Uh, from from what I Marty's done a pretty good job of cultivating the community. 
And I think that he could pick up the call, the phone and get a few businesses to come out and say the things that they need to say. I think he can make that happen. Uh, in addition, I think that Marty can still get some of that business community because he's been working with them, them and cultivating them for a while now because he made all kinds of trade-offs uh, when he got other bills passed and got lawmakers and business leaders and spouses and various people appointed to positions where, you know, they're, they're benefiting from uh, the district. So um, my concern is, is what Yvonne kind of alluded to uh, is that when it comes time, because they'll come out against it, but then there will be pushback and the Republicans will say, okay, well, what if we soften this and what if we tweak this and what if we make it just a little bit better? And then they're like, oh, okay. And then we're like, what? So we've had that happen to us so many times, and I tried to get Corey to be aware that that just happened with the tax increase. Like, we got thrown under the bus. Not only did they not work with us, they sabotaged us. They threw, threw hand grenades at us every time we tried to do anything, and then they discredited us and derailed us. I feel like that, that, that this excuse is really just an excuse. Another partnership with JCTA where they're going to go off and work with their buddies behind the scenes and have their cocktail parties and make the big white supremacy decisions for everybody. And meanwhile, nobody's asking us. That's why I said we need a seat at the table. This needs to be a conversation, not a one and done thing. And for them to say that they're going to put all their egg, he flat out said, we're putting all our eggs in one basket. I mean, he didn't use those words, but I said, well, where does grassroots fit in? Oh, you guys are on your own. Make your own table. I, I just I just feel like it's there's too many of us that are aware of what's going on and we might not say anything because we can't we can't lose our jobs. We can't go in. It's like the children's march when with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When he wanted people to stand up with him, he couldn't get the parents because the parents worked for the white folks. And if they stood up, they would lose their jobs. But who stood up? It was the children, because the children had nothing to lose. They did put the kids in jail, but they still had nothing to lose. We got a bunch of kids. We have a bunch of kids. You've been listening to Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. Today we've been exploring the movement, the national movement, to uh, restrict what can be taught in our public schools, in particular around race and sex, uh, the bill in Kentucky, the bill request 60, uh, as well as conversations that we had with a board member recently. Thank you for joining us on 106.5 FM.